part one of first successful ascent of mount rainier eighteen seventy by hazard stevens this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sue anderson part one when vancouver in seventeen ninety two penetrated the straits of fuca and explored the unknown waters of the mediterranean of the pacific wherever he sailed from the gulf of georgia to the furthest inlet of puget sound he beheld the lofty snow-clad barrier range of the cascades stretching north and south and bounding the eastern horizon towering at twice the altitude of all others at intervals of a hundred miles there loomed up above the range three majestic snowy peaks that like giants stand to sentinel enchanted land in the matter-of-fact spirit of a british sailor of his time he named these sublime monuments of nature in honour of three lords of the english admiralty hood rainier and baker of these rainier is the central situated about halfway between the columbia river and the line of british columbia and is by far the loftiest and largest its altitude is fourteen thousand four hundred and forty four feet while hood is eleven thousand twenty five feet and baker is ten thousand eight hundred and ten feet high the others two are single cones while rainier or tacoma is an immense mountain mass with three distinct peaks an eastern a northern and a southern the two last extending out and up from the main central dome from the summit of which they stand over a mile distant while they are nearly two miles apart from each other note tacoma or tahoma among the yakimas clickitats puyallups nisqualis and allied tribes of indians is the generic name for mountain used precisely as we would use the word mount as tacoma wenatchee or mount wenatchee but they all designate rainier simply as tacoma or the mountain just as the mountain men used to call it the old he tacoma overlooks puget sound from olympia to victoria one hundred and sixty miles its snow-clad dome is visible from portland on the willamette one hundred and twenty miles south and from the tableland of walla walla one hundred and fifty miles east a region two hundred and fifty miles across including nearly all of washington territory part of oregon and part of idaho is commanded in one field of vision by this colossus among mountains tacoma had never been ascended it was a virgin peak the superstitious fears and traditions of the indians as well as the dangers of the ascent had prevented their attempting to reach the summit and the failure of a gallant and energetic officer whose courage and hardihood were abundantly shown during the rebellion had in general estimation proved it insurmountable for two years i had resolved to ascend tacoma but both seasons the dense smoke overspreading the whole country had prevented the attempt mr philemon beecher van trump humorous generous whole-souled with endurance and experience withal 
for he had roughed it in the mines and a poetic appreciation of the picturesque and the sublime was equally eager to scale the summit mr edward t coleman an english gentleman of victoria a landscape artist and an alpine tourist whose reputed experience in switzerland had raised a high opinion of his ability above the snow line completed the party olympia the capital of washington territory is a beautiful maple embowered town of some two thousand inhabitants situated at the southernmost extremity of puget sound and west of tacoma distant in an air line seventy-five miles the intervening country is covered with dense fir forests almost impenetrable to the midday sun and obstructed with fallen trees upturned roots and stumps and a perfect jungle of undergrowth through which the most energetic traveler can accomplish but eight or nine miles a day it was advisable to gain the nearest possible point by some trail before plunging into the unbroken forest the nisqually river which rises on the southern and western slopes of tacoma and empties into the sound a few miles north of olympia offered the most direct and natural approach ten years before moreover a few enterprising settlers had blazed out a trail across the cascade range which followed the nisqually nearly up to its source thence deflected south to the cowlitz river and pursued this stream in a northeastern course to the summit of the range thus turning the great mountain by a wide circuit the best informed mountain men represented the approaches on the south and southeast as by far the most favorable the nisqually cowlitz trail then seemed much the best for the nisqually heading in the south and southwest slopes and the cowlitz in the southeastern afforded two lines of approach by either of which the distance to the mountain after leaving the trail could not exceed thirty miles one august afternoon van trump and i drove out to yelm prairie thirty miles east of olympia and on the nisqually river we dashed rapidly on over a smooth hard level road traversing wide reaches of prairie passing under open groves of oaks and firs and plunging through masses of black dense forest in ever-changing variety the moon had risen as we emerged upon yelm prairie tacoma bathed in cold white spectral light from summit to base appeared startlingly near and distinct our admiration was not so noisy as usual perhaps a little of dread mingled with it in another hour we drove nearly across the plain and turned into a lane which conducted us up a beautiful rising plateau crowned with a noble grove of oaks and overlooking the whole prairie a comfortable roomy house with a wide porch nestled among the trees and its hospitable owner mr james longmire appeared at the door and bade us enter the next morning we applied to mr longmire for a guide and for his advice as to our proposed trip he was one of the few who marked out the nisqually cowlitz trail years ago he had explored the mountains about tacoma as thoroughly perhaps as any other white man one of the earliest settlers 
quiet self-reliant sensible and kindly a better counsellor than he could not have been found the trail he said had not been travelled for four years and was entirely illegible to eyes not well versed in woodcraft and it would be folly for any one to attempt to follow it who was not thoroughly acquainted with the country he could not leave his harvest and moreover in three weeks he was to cross the mountains for a drove of cattle his wife too quietly discouraged his going she described his appearance on his return from previous mountain trips looking as haggard and thin as though he had just risen from a sick-bed she threw out effective little sketches of toil discomfort and hardship incident to mountain travel and dwelt upon the hard fare the bountiful country breakfast heaped before us the rich cream fresh butter and eggs snowy melting biscuits and broiled chicken with rich white gravy heightened the effect of her words but at length when it appeared that no one else who knew the trail could be found mr longmire yielded to our persuasions and consented to conduct us as far as the trail led and to procure an indian guide before leaving us to our own resources as soon as we returned home we went with mr coleman to his room to see a few indispensable equipments he had provided in order that we might procure similar ones the floor was literally covered with his traps and he exhibited them one by one expiating upon their various uses there was his ground sheet a large gum blanket equally serviceable to mr coleman as a tent in camp and a bathtub at the hotel there was a strong rope to which we were all to be tied when climbing the snowfields so that if one fell into a chasm the others could hold him up the creepers were a clumsy heavy arrangement of iron spikes made to fasten on the foot with chains and straps in order to prevent slipping on the ice he had an ice-axe for cutting steps a spirit lamp for making tea on the mountains green goggles for snow-blindness deer's fat for the face alpine staffs needles and thread twine tacks screws screwdriver gimlet file several medical prescriptions two boards for pressing flowers sketching materials and in fact every article that mr coleman in his extensive reading had found used or recommended by travellers every one of these he regarded as indispensable the alpine staff was he declared most important of all a great assistance in travelling through the woods as well as on the ice and he illustrated on his hands and knees how to cross a crevasse in the ice on two staffs this interview naturally brought to mind the characteristic incident related of packwood the mountain man who as hunter and prospector had explored the deepest recesses of the cascades he had been engaged to guide a railroad surveying party across the mountains and just as the party was about to start he approached the chief and demanded an advance to enable him to buy his outfit for the trip how much do you want asked the chief rather anxiously lest packwood should overdraw his prospective wages well about two dollars and a half was the reply 
and at the campfire that evening being asked if he had bought his outfit packwood thrusting his hand into his pocket drew forth and exhibited with perfect seriousness and complacency his entire outfit a jackknife and a plug of tobacco half a dozen carriages rattled gaily out of olympia in the cool of the morning filled with a laughing singing frolicking bevy of young ladies and gentlemen they were the tacoma party starting on their adventurous trip with a chosen escort accompanying them to their first camp they rested several hours at longmire's during the heat of the day and the drive was then continued seven miles further to the lacamas an irregular shaped prairie two miles in length by half a mile in breadth here lived two of mr longmire's sons their farms formed the last settlement and at the gate of mr elkane longmire's house the road ends a wooded knoll overlooking the prairie with a spring of water at its foot was selected as the campground some of the party stretched a large sail between the trees as a tent others watered and fed the horses and others busied themselves with the supper two eager sportsmen started after grouse while their more practical companions bought half a dozen chickens and had them soon dressed and sputtering over the fire the shades of night were falling as the party sat down on the ground and partook of a repast fit for the olympians and with a relish sharpened by the long journey and a whole day's fast early in the morning mr longmire arrived in camp with two mules and a pack-horse and our mountain outfit was rapidly made up into suitable bales and packed upon the horse and one of the mules the other mule being reserved for longmire's own riding we assembled around the breakfast with spirits as gay and appetites as sharp as ever then with many good-byes and much waving of handkerchiefs the party broke up four roughly clad pedestrians moved off in a single file leading their pack animals and looking back at every step to catch the last glimpse of the bright garments and fluttering cambrics while the carriages drove rapidly down the road and disappeared in the dark sullen forest we stepped off briskly following a dim trail in an easterly course and crossing the little prairie entered the timber after winding over hilly ground for about three miles we descended into the nisqually bottom and forded a fine brook at the foot of the hill for the next ten miles our route lay across the bottom and along the bank of the river passing around logs following old dry beds of the river and its lateral sloughs ankle-deep in loose sand and forcing our way through dense jungles of vine maple the trail was scarcely visible and much obstructed by fallen trees and underbrush and its difficulties were aggravated by the bewildering tracks of indians who had lately wandered about the bottom in search of berries or rushes we repeatedly missed the trail and lost hours in retracing our steps and searching for the right course the weather was hot and sultry and rendered more oppressive by the dense foliage myriads of gnats and mosquitoes tormented us and drove our poor animals almost frantic and our thirst aggravated by the severe and unaccustomed toil 
seemed quenchless at length we reached the ford of the nisqually directly opposite a perpendicular bluff of sand and gravel in alternate strata rose to the height of two hundred and fifty feet its base washed by the river and its top crowned with firs the stream was a hundred yards wide waist deep and very rapid its waters were icy cold and of a milk-white hue this color is the characteristic of glacial rivers the impalpable powder of thousands of tons of solid rocks ground up beneath the vast weight and resistless though imperceptible flow of huge glaciers remains in solution in these streams and colors them milk-white to the sea leading the animals down the bank and over a wide dry bar of cobblestones we stood at the brink of the swift turbulent river and prepared to essay its passage coleman mounted behind van trump on the little saddle mule his long legs dangling nearly to the ground one hand grasping his alpine staff the other the neck rope of the pack mule which longmire bestrode longmire led in turn the pack horse behind whose bulky load was perched the other member of the party the cavalcade linked together in this order had but just entered the stream when coleman dropped the neck rope he was holding the mule bewildered by the rush and roar of the waters turned directly downstream and in another instant our two pack animals with their riders would have been swept away in the furious rapids had not longmire with great presence of mind turned their erratic course in the right direction and safely brought them to the opposite shore following the bottom along the river for some distance we climbed up the end of the bluff already mentioned by a steep zigzag trail and skirted along its brink for a mile far below us on the right rushed the nisqually on the left the bluff fell off in a steep hillside thickly clothed with woods and underbrush and at its foot ploughed the owhap a large stream emptying into the nisqually just below our ford another mile through the woods brought us out upon the michel prairie a beautiful oval meadow of a hundred acres embowered in the tall dense fir forest with a grove of lofty branching oaks at its further extremity and covered with green grass and bright flowers it takes its name from the michel river which empties into the nisqually a mile above the prairie we had marched sixteen miles the packs were gladly thrown off beneath a lofty fir the animals were staked out to graze a spring in the edge of the woods afforded water and while mr coleman busied himself with his pipe his flask his notebook his sketch-book and his pouch of multifarious odds and ends the other members of the party performed the duties incident to camp life made the fire brought water spread the blankets and prepared supper the flags attached to our alpine staffs waved gaily overhead and the sight of their bright folds fluttering in the breeze deepened the fixed resolve to plant them on tacoma's hoary head and made failure seem impossible mr coleman announced the altitude of michel prairie as eight hundred feet by barometer 
by an unlucky fall the thermometer was broken the march was resumed early next morning as we passed the lofty oaks at the end of the little prairie on that tree said longmire pointing out one of the noblest maxon's company hanged two indians in the war of fifty six skihai and his band after many depredations upon the settlements were encamped on the michel a mile distant in fancied security when maxon and his men surprised them and cut off every soul except the two prisoners whom they hanged here for eight miles the trail led through thick woods and then after crossing a wide burn passed a number of deserted indian wigwams where another trail from the nisqually plains joined ours it descended a gradual slope traversed a swampy thicket and another mile of heavy timber and debouched on the michel river this is a fine rapid sparkling stream knee-deep and forty feet wide rippling and dashing over a gravelly bed with clear cold transparent water the purity of the clear water so unlike the yeasty nisqually proves that the michel is no glacial river rising in an outlying range to the northwest of tacoma it flows in a southwest course to its confluence with the nisqually near our previous night's camp we unsaddled for the noon rest van trump went up the stream fishing longmire crossed to look out the trail ahead and coleman made tea solitaire an hour passed and longmire returned the trail is blind said he and we have no time to lose just then van trump returned and the little train was soon in readiness to resume the tramp longmire rode his mule across the stream telling us to drive the pack animals after him and follow by a convenient log near by as the mule attempted to climb a low place in the opposite bank which offered an apparently easy exit from the river his hind legs sank in a quicksand he sat down quickly if not gracefully and not fancying that posture threw himself clear under water his dripping rider rose to his feet flung the bridle rein over his arm and springing up the bank at a more practicable point strode along the trail with as little delay and as perfect unconcern as though an involuntary ducking was of no more moment than climbing over a log the trail was blind longmire scented it through thickets of salile fern and underbrush stumbling over roots vines and hollows hidden in the rank vegetation now climbing huge trunks that the animals could barely scramble over and now laboriously working his way around some fallen giant and traveling two hundred yards in order to gain a dozen yards on the course the packs continually jammed against trees and shaken loose by this rough traveling required frequent repacking no small task at the very top of a high steep hill up which we had laboriously zigzagged shortly after crossing the michel the little pack-horse unable to sustain the weight of the pack which had shifted all to one side fell and rolled over and over to the bottom bringing up the goods and chattels one by one on our own shoulders to the top of the hill 
we replaced the load and started again the course was in a southerly direction over high rolling ground of good clay soil heavily timbered with marshy swales at intervals to the nisqually river again a distance of twelve miles we encamped on a narrow flat between the high hill just descended and the wide and noisy river near an old ruined log hut the former residence of a once famed indian medicine man who after the laudable custom of his race had expiated with his life his failure to cure a patient early next morning we continued our laborious march along the right bank of the nisqually towards noon we left the river and after thriding in an easterly course a perfect labyrinth of fallen timber for six miles and forcing our way with much difficulty through the tangled jungle of an extensive vine maple swamp at length crossed silver creek and gladly threw off the packs for an hour's rest a short distance after crossing silver creek the trail emerged upon more open ground and for the first time the nisqually valley lay spread out in view before us on the left stretched a wall of steep rocky mountains standing parallel to the course of the river and extending far eastward growing higher and steeper and more rugged as it receded from view at the very extremity of this range tacoma loomed aloft its dome high above all the others and its flanks extending far down into the valley and all covered dome and flanks with snow of dazzling white in striking contrast with the black basaltic mountains about it startlingly near it looked to our eyes accustomed to the restricted views and gloom of the forest after our noon rest we continued our journey up the valley twisting in and out among the numerous trunks of trees that encumbered the ground and after several hours of tedious trudging struck our third camp on copper creek the twin brother to silver creek just at dusk we were thoroughly tired having made twenty miles in thirteen hours of hard traveling end of part one